Hello and welcome to Witchy Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Lauren Cholantani, women's holistic health coach and fellow recovering perfectionist. This podcast was created to show you that your body is not in the way, it is actually leading your way. I am very particular about the type of CBD and hemp products that I use. There's so much hype and lack of testing and quality in the industry. So the company that I love and use is Evo Hemp. Not only do they have a beautiful product like hemp seeds, CBD oil, gummies, even hemp chocolate, protein bars, protein powder. They also support a 40-acre co-op farm in Minnesota, which is farmer-owned, focusing on bringing quality and innovation back to Black, Indigenous, and other socially disadvantaged farmers. So if you are looking into trying any type of CBD or hemp products, head over to evohemp.com. The link is in the show notes and make sure you use code witchy, W-I-C-T-H-Y for 20% off of your purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Witchy Wellness Radio. Again, I'm your host, Lauren, and this is a show that helps show you how your emotions and body are not in the way, but actually leading your way. And today we are talking with Dr. Wendy Trubo. She is a functional medicine gynecologist with a thriving practice at Five Journeys and is passionate about helping women optimize their health and lives. Through her struggles with mold and metal toxicity, celiac disease, and other health issues, Wendy has helped develop a sense of compassion and expertise for what her patients are facing. She's also the co-author of Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing. And I know we're going to feel freaking amazing after this interview too. I'm so excited. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you, Lauren. It's great to be here. Yeah, I know we were talking off air about the greenwashing. I was putting on my makeup before the interview and I'm going, oh, I love my green, clean, you know, yep. uh, friendly makeup. But, you know, some brands that you think that are clean, if you don't do your research, you, you'll be surprised what little dirty things, dirty toxins slip in there. And short term, long term, that really does affect your health. Um it's a blessing and a curse. I am like a canary in a coal mine with any... Me too. Yeah. So it started off with years ago, I had to ditch my, you know, tide discussing um, fragrance filled de- laundry yeah. detergent because my skin was reacting and that led me to all sorts of other changes and research. It's, it's just a snowball effect as you yes. know. Yeah. And I know you have a beautiful journey and you're a fellow canary. Um, <laughs> I'd like to hear like, how, how did this kind of uh, unfold for you and what that process was like in that healing process too? Because once you find out, okay, this is the cause, the healing process is a whole nother start of a new journey. Honestly, Lauren, you make it sound very like lovely and it was really <laughs> awful. It was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so I would say my journey has two main peaks of, of crises, or should I call them valleys? I would say two main valleys of crises. The first valley I fell down into when I was 35 and I had been sick 
for a long time. But the thing about chronic illness is that it's not like flicking a switch. It wasn't like in 1999, I was good. And in 2000, I was terrible. It was this just constant erosion of myself to the point where I I didn't really, I felt awful, but I didn't know any different because it had been such a slow process that it's just how I was, you know, the color of water, color of air. It was just the way my life was. And it got to a point where we, um, I mean, now here's the thing. I wasn't without symptoms, but I didn't complain because in med school and residency, it's really sort of drilled into you. If, unless you're dying, don't, don't complain because you're going to inconvenience your teammates and you're going to inconvenience others. So just don't complain. So by the time I really fell down that valley, I, I got out of bed because I had to. I was the primary breadwinner at the time. My husband was a resident. I was already graduated. We had our, we were having our second child. And he said to me, why don't you see my mentor for a consult? You know, he takes Blue Cross. We have Blue Cross until like the end of, end of August. And, you know, so I was like, okay. So I went to see him right before I delivered. And then, and I had all the blood work done. And then I went back to get the results when I was six week postpartum. And and the symptoms I had were really head to toe. So they were very nonspecific. So I had some hair, hair thinning. I had brain fog, terrible brain fog. Like I couldn't remember things at all. And con- sort of not confusion, but just brain fog. I had anxiety. Now I am very high strung and tend to like go a million miles an hour, but I'm not anxious. I'm just like, go, go, go. And then I had a thyroid disorder. I had heart palpitations. I had asthma. I had everything gut. So bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation. I didn't have reflux or GERD, but I had everything else. And sometimes on the same day, God love my husband that he married me with the terrible gas that I had. It was awful. And then, you know, traveled south of the border to bad periods, heavy periods. I had fertility challenges. I made up for it by having four kids, but I, I had fertility issues. I had wasting and I had nutrient deficiencies and everything hurt. Like I get up in the morning and I'm like, God, my feet hurt. You got to walk it off. So I was really a mess. And um, God, I remember this conversation. We're driving up to see him for the follow-up visit. I'm six weeks postpartum. I've like barely know my butt from anything else. You know, I'm like out of bed, showered. And I said to him, I said to my husband, call him. I need to know, call him. What is going on? Call him. I can't wait. I've waited six, I've waited 35 years for this, right? But I couldn't wait another minute. So he calls him and he's like, hey, I'm really sorry, but like, could you just give us a heads up? And over the speaker, he says, she's not going to like the results. And, you know, me postpartum, I was like, do I have diabetes? Am I going to have to stick my fingers? I won't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll eat healthy, but I can't do it. And he goes, no, you don't have diabetes. You have celiac. And I said, oh, my dad has celiac. He said, well, you have it too. And it's genetic. So unfortunately, that part about, and it's genetic, never got transmitted to me when my dad got diagnosed. So I never got tested. I'm sure I was positive then. And then proceeded to get sicker and sicker, you know, through med school, through residency, through postpartum, you know, childbearing years. And so I was diagnosed at 35 with celiac. And and it sounds great. Like, oh, great. Now you can start healing. Yes. But like, do you know how hard it is at family dinner when your mother-in-law says, but I made this for you? And I'm like, but I can't eat it. So 
it started the healing process and the renegotiation of our some of our family um, behaviors, shall we say? And so I started to heal my gut, eliminated gluten, treated the yeast, treated the food sensitivities, treated the mineral nutrient deficiencies, and I was doing pretty well. And then I fell into the valley again when I was 48. Um, so, so at 48, I had two lead exposures. I only knew about one. I knew about one and kind of forgot about it. My neighbor took his post-war house down and I was like, shut the windows. We're getting lead. And, and my hair loss actually accelerated, but I didn't think much of it kind of went my way. And then eight months later, we took the trip of a lifetime to France and it was right after Notre Dame burned. So of course we didn't go in, but we were staying there for a week and we stayed in that area. And I remember saying to my husband, it is so dusty here. And right after we came home from France, I gained almost 10 pounds, had a terrible rash on my face. Like it was here on my eyelids. It was from my nose down to my the corner of my lip and then under my chin, I wanted to rip off my face. And my hair loss was like clumps, like like just ridiculous. And it's really hard to treat yourself, honestly. It, it is just really hard to do this work on yourself. But I was like, okay, check my thyroid. Thyroid's perfect. Check my food sensitivities. Looks really good. Looks better than it ever did. You know, nothing was wrong that I could figure out. And about three months later, I was listening to the radio and NPR did a series on how when Notre Dame burned, 500 tons of lead was released into the air. And the closer you were, the more lead exposure you got. And they're now finding that people who live right by Notre Dame have lead exposure. And the farther you out, of course, the less, the less you got. And I was like, I was there. We slogged through it. We stayed there for a week. And I went off the cliff into the valley right after we came back. So I did a lead test and it had been mildly positive in the past. And now it was 25% higher. So it was definitely out of range. And I said to my husband, I've got lead. So let's test the other stuff. I had mercury, a little bit. Turns out I had a lot more than I thought I had because the body hides it away and you have to really peel it out. So I had lead and mercury, and then I tested mycotoxins, which are the toxins that molds put out when they're in you. And I had four different strains. I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a mess. And then I tested the environmental toxins and had like seven or eight of those. And I looked at my husband, other environmental, like gasoline fumes, makeup, plastics, phthalates, all that stuff. So I look at my husband and I went, I am such a dirty girl. We got to write that book. That's the book we got to write. So we did. That's, that's why we wrote the book, because if I'm the poster child for healthy living and I'm so toxic or full of toxins, I should say, I try not to be toxic, but if I'm full of all these toxins, what's it doing to everyone else who may not be as far along on their eating plan and their clean products and their lifestyle and all that? So there we go. Wow. Oh my goodness. I got chills when you said the NPR <laughs> show came on about Notre Dame. I got full body chills. That's yep. that that is the universe or God giving you a sign like right? Did, you know, look this way because could have missed that, right? I could have missed that episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think for me, we don't 
and it is, you're such a beautiful poster child, if you will. Like we eat clean. Yeah. But then we might still have these issues or different issues may arise. And it, it's, it takes a good different perspective to take a look at your entire holistic environment. Right. right. And where, what examples of where we would consume toxins, we wouldn't even unknowingly know about. And obviously people, plastic has been a big thing. I would say, I don't know, last 20 years, maybe in my world, because I'm all, I see that everywhere. Right. Um, but what are some big examples of toxins? I mean, cookware, the Teflon, huh, like yeah. <laughs> all of it. I mean, all of it. you know, if you're listening, you, you probably want to run screaming for the hills and live, live far away. You know, <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, so, so let's, let's stratify it. I find it really much easier to think about all these toxins when you think about the buckets of what are you putting in your body? What are you putting on your body directly and what's around you? Because otherwise it's just this mishmash of holy smokes, there's everything going on. I'm totally overwhelmed. So the lowest hanging fruit is pretty easy. Well, in some ways it's easy. What are you putting in your body? So wherever you start, I'm a huge proponent of there's no perfection. The only perfection exists on the Hollywood screen and the rest of us are just making improvements. So wherever you start is fine. Now let's level up. So if you're not eating organic, go for organic. If you're not eating fruits and vegetables, really vegetables, people get enough fruit. They don't get enough vegetables. If you're not eating enough vegetables, get more. As Deanna Minnick says, eat the rainbow. Make sure your food is colorful. So that's one step. And then the next step is... Here's the part where people often like shut the podcast off. Don't drink alcohol. It's the devil. It's the antichrist. It is terrible for you. There is not a single argument I can make that alcohol is good for you because your liver is responsible for doing all your detox. So if you're like, whoa, the world is super toxic. I need to get clean. I'm going to do a cleanse. I'm going to do a detox. I'm going to clean everything up. But then you drink alcohol. You are like tanking yourself as you try to help yourself. So don't, uh, not putting alcohol in your body, especially for women, mm-hmm. we are not designed to deal with alcohol the way men are. Yeah. It messes us up more. And I do have to have a side note, another episode, I don't remember what number it is, but I'll link it. We have an episode this season before your episode that's about becoming alcohol free and mm-hmm. more so the mindset, but also the physical health behind it. So we, we're, if you guys are interested in this topic and actually learning more, I'll link that in the show notes because it's, it's crazy. The science behind, and we're, we just, it's so culturally accepted, but continue Wendy. Sorry. I I think we should talk about that for a second because it's funny. I actually stopped drinking alcohol. I know exactly when it was, we went out for my father-in-law's birthday when my second child was one and I single-handedly drank an entire bottle of sake in the China, in the Japanese restaurant. Yeah. It was delicious. It was like the best. It was like, you know, we splurged. I think it was like his 60th birthday and we, you know, we went all out and it took me a month before I felt back to my baseline. Yeah. I was already gluten-free at that point. So we can't blame it on celiac. And so from that point forward, I, I was, I said to myself, okay, self, you clearly have some adrenal issues that we need to mop up. And until those adrenals are mopped up, we're not going to drink because it's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Now, How old was I at that point? I was like 36 and now I'm 51. So we're talking a lot of years later. I still get peer pressure. People will still say to me, 
And I still don't drink because then I figured out the toxins and I was like, okay, well, I can't afford to drink because I have to get rid of the toxins. But but it's really diff- not drinking or not eating something brings things up for pe- other people. Yes. Right. And so other people have to confront their own reactions. And it's usually something like, well, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? Or why aren't you eating that? What's wrong with you? But really it's kind of this mirror for, I don't want to have to confront that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a hard time about it. Yeah. But, but here's my trick. Nobody can argue with this. Okay. And I use it with my kids too, because nobody can argue with it. I mean, I have four kids, I have teenagers. They're like, why should I do that? Or why shouldn't I do that? Here, here's my trick. Okay. It doesn't work for me. Just say that it doesn't work for me. You can't argue with that. You know, if I said to you, Lauren, that doesn't work for me. You're not going to be like, yes, it does. You know, you can't argue with that. So when you say, I feel sick when I eat, when I drink, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of stops people in their tracks because they go, oh, okay. You don't feel well. Oh, okay. So whatever it is, right. It doesn't work for me. doesn't work for me. Yeah. And, and, for me. and alcohol does are out there physically, but also mentally and emotionally, <gasps> like biochemically for, for me, <laughs> if I, I, I might have one or two drinks a year, but even then I, I, I'm still like, why did I do that? Right. You know, right. even just one glass of wine. Um, but I noticed the next few days to a week, emotionally, my lows and highs are a lot more contrasting. The lows get yep. prolonged. It's, and it's, it's, it's not worth it because once yep. you start feeling better and you start this healing process and you realize something like alcohol or, or even gluten or dairy, whatever it is, does not work for you. Yeah. It's not like that temporary moment of delicious pleasure, whatever it is, you can find that elsewhere. Number one. Right. But number two, it's like, you never knew how good you could feel until you felt this way. And you don't want to screw that up. (laughs) Right. There's so many ways we get tanked that, yeah, I feel like I don't want to do anything on purpose to mess myself up. Yeah. So yeah, I've totally lost the plot. I can't yeah, remember we where we were when the, we went into that. <laughs> the buckets of uh, oh, the buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink alcohol. That's the bottom line. Okay. Yes. And then here's this other sneaky one. Everyone thinks about water in plastic bottles. That's obviously bad for you, but nobody's thinking about kombucha in a plastic bottle. Right? I see your eyes go wide. So, so anything in a plastic bottle is bad for you because the plastic leaches into the liquid and you drink it and it acts as what's called a xenoestrogen and that confuses your body's hormones. However, you also, it looks like you still have to get rid of those xenoestrogens in the same way that you would process your own hormones. So now your liver is doing twice the work. So the things you're putting in your body, food, water, alcohol. It's really critical. Don't put the alcohol in. Don't put the water in if it comes from plastic. I mean, you know, my kids are like, can you please keep water in the car? And I was like, in a can, I can, I'll keep canned water in the car, you know, like seltzer water in a can, but I am not keeping water in a plastic bottle for you in the car. Cause you know, we heat it up and then it's even worse when you heat it. So, uh, and then Sugar is something I need to call out because sugar and alcohol are both the antichrist and the devil. They just are like, they're really bad. for you. There's no way around it. So those are the things you're putting in your body. And, and it, again, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be perfect. Nope. You're going to be better. 
And sometimes you're going to have backslides. It's okay. Get back on, on track. So that's in. Then on. You know, I think the average woman by the time we've, well, no longer left the house, but gotten ready is exposed to over 200 chemicals. And, and just as a side note, the humans, we as humans have produced over 150,000 unique different chemicals, but only like 500 of those have specifically been tested and, and shown safe, right? So that leaves a lot of room for error. And so, and the other thing I'll say is, is that it's easy to sort of poo-poo it and go, well, ah, not making a difference. What difference is that little exposure to a little amount of lotion? Or I only use a tiny amount of cover-up or mascara. It's easy to poo-poo it. However, what you're not accounting for is the cumulative effect of all the exposures. It's not just your mascara. It's your mascara and your and your under eye cover up, along with your lipstick, along with the food you're eating, along with the fact that you're stressed and drank alcohol, and took close to the dry cleaner and they're off gassing on you, so you're absorbing formaldehyde. And by the way, you pumped your own gas on the way to work, and you got your nails done in the salon and had a blowout where they put stuff in your hair, right? Like this, the cumulative effect of all the things that we put on ourselves is very harmful, even if it's just a small amount it can be harmful. So the things we're putting on our body, it's important. This is where people freak out. Usually they're like, I just bought a whole new, you know, Sephora brand. I'm like, okay, fine. Use it up, whatever. Right. Like if it, it it's okay. Cause you've been here this long. So it's okay. Use it. And when you're running out of whatever, that's the point to level up, go to yeah. ewg.org, figure it out, level up. And I do have to say, in addition to that fragrances, like if yep. a perfume, you said Sephora, I cannot walk remotely close to Sephora in the mall <laughs> yep. for that very reason. Yeah. And Bath and Body Works, like, the, you know, oh. the, this, these are harmful chemicals. So yeah. Yeah. that's then, so that's on your body. And then there's what's around you. And this encompasses, I mean, this is huge. So this is your furniture, your, the bed you're sleeping on. Beds are treated with flame retardants. If you're a smoker and you smoke in bed, you should have a bed with flame retardants. But we have a bigger issue if you're a smoker, you know, because we want to get you quitting smoking because it's super harmful for you. But anyway, so, but if you live with a smoker and you're not a smoker, you're getting exposed to their harmful chemicals, their fumes. The fumes from gasoline, like if you pump your own gas, if you live near an airstrip, if you live near a golf course, and they have those beautiful lawns, it's because they're spraying for monoculture with Roundup. So you're getting exposed to glyphosate, which was developed as, a, as an, anti, um, sorry, an antibiotic. And so it disrupts your microbiome. And it's, it's been linked to four specific cancers. So, okay. Or if you live near a farm and it's not an organic farm and they're spraying, you're getting exposed to herbicides, pesticides, insecticides. So starting to look at what's around us, what's the air quality in your home? Um, I live in Massachusetts and in 1989, okay, 1989 is a really long time ago at this point. They estimated in a study that up to 50% of illnesses track back to air quality. That was in 1989. We've gotten worse. So looking at what's around you is really important. And, and uh, I will put in that category, what are the people around you like? Because people can be toxic for you. And, and every once in a while, I have a patient sitting in my office and I'll say to them, 
I really think we could do good work together. And your marriage or relationship or job is so toxic as to be overwhelming the system. And I can't do anything with you until you fix that core imbalance. It doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes. So I will put toxic people or jobs into that what's around you category. Yeah. I, it, what you just said when you um, shared your story about learning you had celiacs, my roommate in college found out she had celiacs as well, but it was after a very stressful time in her life. She ended up also getting the bird, was it the bird flu or swine flu? whatever 2000s big flu was. Um, but then I know other people who have had autoimmune disease and celiac specifically, the genes have been switched on, you know, during mm-hmm. a divorce or during a stressful time. These things not only are keeping you from healing, but sometimes they are the things that push your body to the edge in which things turn on and off and, you know, start a whole new plan of healing. Yeah, and I think it's really... So I feel like I would say to everyone, I'm old, right? Like I have, I, I'm at the point where I don't care. I'm 51. I don't care. You know, like I like to look good, but, but if you don't like me, okay, don't listen. Right. So, yeah. so, so I've gotten to this like IDGAF stage in life, which is yeah. really cool to be in. Cause I really did GAF for a long, lot of years and waited <laughs> for permission. And, you know, it had to be, I was like me, but like more timid. So anyway, I think what's really interesting is I've gotten to the place in life where there's two ways you can do it. You can wait for a problem, which is what I call the wait till it gets bad enough camp, or you can intervene at the slightest hint before it becomes a problem. But the problem is we're human. So we most often need for it to get bad enough. So like when I got celiac, it, it was bad. It was bad enough. I could barely get out of bed, but I had irritable bowel in my 20s, never got diagnosed, never got tested. So so I never complained enough for it to get on people's radar. This was also 16 years ago. And so times were different. People weren't as aware about gluten sensitivity. But yeah, 100%, you can watch the evolution of disease. And then the trick is not chalking it up to like when I, when I hit the skids at 48 and started losing my hair, I was like, Oh, perimenopause. How much does this suck? You know, I was like, Oh, and then when I gained all the weight, I was like, I'm really perimenopausal. Now I got to check my hormones, but it was toxins. It wasn't perimenopause. Right. So, so it's, it's easy to chalk things up to what we know is familiar and just say, well, my mom had this, so I'm going to have it. Or my parents both had diabetes, so I'm going to get it. Nope. Y'all grew up in the same place and you have the same toxins they have. You came from them. You have their toxins. So it's it's like, how do we how do we intervene before it gets so bad? Intervene early. And, and as women, I just read this article in the New York Times about how we're gaslighted by medical providers. So, you know, you go in and if you don't go to a functional medicine provider, they're going to be like, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't have a drug for that. You know, I do not have a drug to match that problem. So there's obviously nothing wrong with you. Go home. Yeah. And then we get gaslighted, right? Like, but something's really not right. I'm fatigued. They don't have a drug for fatigue. You know, so, so the thing about for women is yes, complain early, complain often and go to a functional medicine provider who will validate you because we have the tools for your problem, right? So you can catch it early going back to like 
those bad relationships that make you sicker, you can kick a, an autoimmune disease in with a stressful job or relationship or toxic environment. And yeah. you can intervene earlier if, if you catch it. Yeah. Anybody takes anything away from this episode, it's this lesson because as humans, naturally we don't, you're right. We don't do anything until we need to, until, yeah. you know, the proverbial, you know, crap hits the fan in, mm-hmm. in a way. And mm-hmm. I think at large, our society and how we view medical care, whether it's holistic or more traditional is more of, well, emergency medicine, but also when something does happen like that, instead of this proactive response of like, I, I, I don't think we realize how good we should be feeling. Right. Like that's, that's that slow erosion. That's a slow erosion. Yeah. And like you said, complain early, but also start your own journey to health and, and detoxing. And like you said, it's, it's not perfection. It's leveling up, doing a little bit more than you can could the day before and not from this like all or nothing perspective. Um, Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that, the mindset before we actually get into like where we can kind of start the mindset and the language that we use, because I can be very harsh on myself and I help people with that, that mindset and the anxiety and being able to shift out of that. But like when we're going through change, the, um, those belief systems we didn't think were there bubble up you know not enough I don't like my you know yada 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 Mm -hmm. so how can we start to like become aware of that and use more empowering language because that's going to help us make the change and actually heal I always say to women watch your language yeah and that's I mean I'm like potty mouth go go have a potty mouth couldn't care less but watch your language so my kids aren't allowed to say I can't do that they're not allowed to say that they are allowed to say, I can't do that yet because the language you use tells your brain what to respond. So if you say, I can't do that, you're closing the door, done. But if you say, I can't do that yet, it offers the brain a way to think about how you could maybe create that, get into that, develop that. Just like oh, I have one of my patients. I love her. I love her to pieces. I knew her when I was a kid. We went to camp together and she became one of my patients and she has four kids like me and two of her sons are on the autism spectrum and they're now grown up and she was leaving for a weekend or week actually. And she said to me, what if my sons burn the house down? And Lauren, I said to her, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not what if my kids burn the house down? Because you have legit no power when you have a what if question, right? It's not, there's no power in a what if. All you are is like a victim. What if, what if, right? What if I, what if I get cancer? Well, I don't know. That's not the right question. The question is, let's sort of dual track. What do you need to do to prevent your sons from burning the house down? What do you need to do to prevent getting cancer? What do you need to do to prevent my boyfriend from cheating on me? What are those, whatever that end of your sentence is, right? And then the other part of it is, how would I respond if that happens? And what do I need to, to teach my kids so that if it happens, they can be flexible and be safe? Those are the questions to ask, as opposed to asking questions that put you into a quivering victim on the floor. You see the difference? So it's re- your mindset's really important because it will determine that. So it's, and, and I, I mean, it's, 
as humans, we're sort of trained to go down what if. And I'm saying anytime you hear what if, it's an opportunity to convert that into action because you cannot, your brain can't chew on what if, but it can chew on what would I do if. It's very different. I love that. I just thought of, um, I saw an episode on impact theory with Tom Bailu. Bailu. There was this episode and the guy's main shtick was stop saying stupid shit out loud specifically (laughs) because you can thinking it in your mind's bad enough. Once you say something like that out loud, there's all, he had all this research and stuff to, to, you you actually believe it. And those things come true. He works specifically with sports psychology with, with these big pro athletes that are going to say, I hope we don't fumble that ball that, or, or I hope I don't miss this serve. And guess what ends up happening? Right. So it's like, it's how to control your negative thoughts, but it's like, stop saying that out loud, but also, and, and like what you just beautifully said, change it, flip that script. If something flip bubbles up, flip the narrative. And that, that, that's that metacognition that I love to help people with too. It's becoming aware of those thoughts. It's not about eradicating them because we're all going to be triggered in whatever way, but it's like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I'm feeling anxious. I have these huge, what if thoughts I'm going like catastrophizing right now. Right. How can, how can I, how can I flip that narrative? And and change because I don't think people want to get stuck in victimhood and fear, but no. that is a lot of part of people's identity. And that's going to keep you not feeling great. That's going to keep you sick. And I know that's harsh to say, but like you can't heal if you're not in your power, if you're not aware of these things. It, it, and I've seen it time and time again, we get addicted to those things. So it's about untraining or retraining our brains to think in this Mm-hmm. figure out a ball mindset this it's not about being positive all the time it's it's about like you said being proactive yeah or you could even be reactive oh, it's yeah. just yeah. that you're not a victim of the circumstance that's the most important thing and you said something really that i wanted to highlight lauren about we're so harsh to ourselves And we learn this behavior at very young ages. So we've been, we're like expert practicers for being, for being unkind to ourselves. And so the thing that I'll offer every person listening. So if you're an ax murderer, you're not included in this. Okay. So, okay. If you're an ax murderer, if you're doing things, my daughter, one of my kids has a shirt that says, why be racist, homophobic, misogynistic, or something else. I can't remember the fourth thing when you could just be quiet. So I'll say, if, if you fall into a category of like actively harming someone else on purpose, then this is not for you. If you're not actively harming someone else, then I promise you, you're an awesome person. Not negotiable. You're awesome. Start believing in yourself the way I believe in you. you know, start seeing yourself the way other people see you. Because you're awesome. It's not negotiable. Non-negotiable, non-negotiable awesomeness. Mm-hmm. I think that should be a t-shirt. I might have to, we might have to make this, <laughs> make this happen. <laughs> well, I think the last thing I want to kind of end the show with is like, obviously eliminating these toxins out of those buckets we talked about, but if somebody's starting their own healing journey, their own detoxification journey, is it all or nothing? Or like, how, how do you approach no. this? No, never all or nothing. All about constant process improvement. Treat yourself like a business project, right? Like how do we take this this messy machine and make it into a Tesla? (laughs) That's kind of, you're you're transforming a human. And 
Okay. So I can't even tell you how many times I've screwed up the process. You know, the day I realized simple green is not clean. I have been using simple green for over. I mean, my mom used simple green. I thought it was clean. I was like, it's green. It's called simple clean. It's perfect. No, hard. No hard pass on it now at this point. However, um, I, you're going to screw it up. It's okay. Like it's kind of, it's kind of comical. You know, I said to my coach, oh my God, I was using laundry detergent pods and they're not clean. And I'm like the poster child. I'm on all these podcasts. She's like, great. Use it as an example for how you're going to get tripped up. So no, hundred percent, not all or nothing. It's pick. I think it's easiest to start with food because you do it three times a day, at least, if not more. So pick the food. And, and you can either be a fell swoop kind of person where you're like, that's it, cleaning out my pantry, everything's done. Or you're like, I'm only going to ad- address breakfast. I'm going to stay within this narrow lane. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just pick something and make it better. And you won't be perfect and it's okay. Okay. But you, you think of it like a scale and you go right now, it's weighted to not healthy. Okay, cool. Weight it in the other direction so that you're weighted towards healthy. That's it. No perfection. And then level up. And actually, Lauren, so there's two parts to this. Our book is really a roadmap for like, how do you walk through it, right? Get the book. It's on Amazon. You can get free shipping. You can get it on my website, but it's not free shipping. It's cheaper to get it on Amazon. Okay. And then we have a, we have a guide for healthy living that's meant to go along with the book. That's all about, okay, I'm, I I think it's time, right? I want to clean up my life. Cool. Here's what pots and pans you should use. And here's what makeup you should use. And here's here's a brand of hair product, like all that stuff where you run into up against, what am I going to clean my house with? What am I going to wash my dishes with? Where you bump up against the practicalities of it. So we put that all together because, I mean, God, we've spent hours, hours finding stuff. So, yeah. So we, we, we keep developing it and adding to it, but it's on our website at fivejourneys.com forward slash promo. And you just put your email in and then you get the guide. So that's one really easy way because you don't have to do all this thinking. I mean, yeah. I know if you're like me, you're busy. So you're not like, oh, let's do a research project on the best mascaras. No, 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 <laughs> no. We've done the work. Make it easy. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for Wendy for coming on here. It was beautiful to talk with a fellow canary here who gets the journey. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I say that about myself. Oh, I say it all the time. So my partner says it to me all the time. He's like, all right, another thing we got to, you know, canary coal mine over here. We've got to change and update. I was like, I'm helping you in the long run. I am just, yes, you know, I am just a sensitive soul here, but long-term and short-term, not good for you either. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was such an honor to talk to you and we end the show the same way every episode. How may we, the listeners, as an act of gratitude, be of service for you and return today? I mean, get the book. Well, because that'll help them too, sort of mutually beneficial. Get the book, get the guide. And then, and then I would say the best thing you could do for yourself today is be kind to yourself. Yes. Forget others. Just be nice to yourself. You deserve it. You legit, legit deserve it. Yep. And when you can be kind to yourself, that will ripple out outward to others eventually <laughs> have some have some grace yeah. and and sort of try to find the humor in all the ways that we have screwed up i always say to my kids i'll pay for your therapy i know i'm screwing <laughs> you up i'll pay for your therapy yeah, it doesn't matter how ideal like your childhood is yep yep, yep. i agree i'll pay for your therapy so yep. have some grace about it because <laughs> yes it is what it is 
Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Lauren. Thanks for having me. And remember, open up, surrender, trust, and let your body lead the way.